Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. And and I'm kind of going to paraphrase it quickly and jump into it. But we were talking about the intention of creation. Now, intention of creation, meaning that God had intended purpose for creation in Genesis that we see, you know, to walk with him, to tend and keep the garden, these, these important and kind of crucial elements in which he creates man for relationship and, and dominion over creation. However, what happens That intended purpose changes and then God, and I know I kind of paraphrased at the end there, but God, what he does is working through the Old Testament, redeems this creation that was fallen and he redeems it in such a way that we can have relationship, communion and walk with him. And so what we're talking about is what it means to to live out that redeemed intended purpose of creation. The redeemed aspect, he paid a debt that we could never pay. However, we still are created of him. And so what I want to talk about today, and you can, uh, if you want, last week was a great precursor. If I do say so myself, you can check that out on any podcast platform. We don't do anything live streaming here because you just just show up in person, all right? (laughs) Had too much of that during COVID for myself. If you ask me to preach at a screen again, I just can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, But what I want to talk about today is the intention of creation, the right sustenance. The right sustenance. Now, sustenance is a word, food and drink regarded as a source of strength and nourishment. So I'm not talking about like, okay, well, I hope you have like you're intaking the right things. But sustenance, food and drink that are a source of strength and longevity with God. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about that. But before I do, it's kind of funny because I think a lot of us, what we do in the state of our lives is we don't necessarily assess what that sustenance is for us. The thing that strengthens us and gives us the ability to keep going. A lot of the times what we do is we just kind of take in whatever can get us through the day. Is anybody guilty of that diet? Right. I remember me and my buddies, we used to, whenever there was, we would travel cross country. We were involved with a bunch of ministries in my early 20s. I'm I'm 46 now. Just kidding, 31. Anyway, um, just got to grow my beard longer and then I just tack on more years. Um, But I remember we would drive cross country and at that time, at at 19, I started in youth ministry at my church when I was 20. I remember at that time we were taking people cross country to a conference and I was working part time at a GNC, general nutrition company. And what I used to do is I would get supplements for free. Now, you may not believe this or not, but I was 140 pounds back then with about four layers on. I was real skinny. And I remember I would get free supplements. And one day what we decided to do, we were going to drive through the night because we realized if you drive through the night, there's less cars at the ro- on the road, which means higher rates of speed. You notice how elegantly I said that higher rates of speed. Yes, we were going to, we were going to rip it. And so, but what we decided was, is there were crucial hours and those crucial hours were about 1130 to about 5 a.m. And whoever was going to take that cross would need something extra to get through it. So what I did is I went into work. I mixed six pre-workouts and three diet fat burners. 
And this concoction, literally, I wrote on the top, do not drink unless driving through night. And what we would do is we would mix all these pre-workouts, all these fat burners, and then we'd choose, I would choose sunflower seeds because I did the hard hours. I'm a gritty guy. The only problem is at 140 pounds, it's like I'm like literally shaking and convulsing. But I'd get, I would still get a little tired, and if I got tired, I'd choose sunflower seeds. A hack if you didn't know. And then if I got more tired, there were always bottles of water that would go over my head every 15 to 20. So that's the recipe for getting cross-country overnight. You can borrow that if you need it. I wouldn't recommend it. There was an outcome that I wanted, and I was willing to put anything in the tank to see that outcome come to pass. This kind of feels like culture a little bit. We set out with goals and an agenda and a focus, and we're willing to essentially sacrifice by putting anything in the tank that will just get us a little farther. Keep us going a little longer. You know, this, this passage of scripture, Paul at the end of his life, almost re- recollecting and saying, man, I want to be spoken of me that I was, that it was when I get to the pearly gates that I, it was well done and I was good and I was faithful. Does that sound like a pre-workout through the night? Good and faithful. And I think this is what I'm trying to get at with sustenance is what does it mean to consume the nourishment of God that produces faithfulness, that produces goodness, that could produce longevity, that produces the right things. Another story, I I did missions early on in my life. What I mean by that is the first trip I ever went on was for two months in the summer of my freshman year. I went to Latvia, Sweden, and Russia. And as I was, as I was there and I was going out uh, to, on, these, uh, on this mission trip, I realized that my parents weren't there. Which many of you guys have felt this. I don't know if you have. I'll speak for myself. but Which meant I could buy and eat whatever I wanted to do as a 14-year-old. Which what that meant for me was, is I had a, a, a nightstand next to my bed in Latvia that was full of two liters of Fanta and Coke, enough chips to, to feed a small family for seven years, and then just stacks of cookies. And you better believe every single moment I had. I mean, I'm 14. I've never been away from my parents longer than like three hours because my mom is an absolute hawk. Oh, gosh, she's going to listen to this too. Sorry, Bob. Um, but literally, I, I would just every day. So for the first week, I was just in heaven. My, my, my taste buds were just like, wow, we've never had this concentrated amount of taste just flooding all the time. Until about a weekend, I got so dehydrated that I vomited for a full day and burst all the blood vessels in my face. There was a guy on that trip that my family knew really, really well. He found out about it and every day would come to me and make me drink a two liter of water from that moment forward for the rest of the trip. But what it was, was essentially I had this idea of something that tasted good, that the consumption of the too much of those things actually was bad. Consumption, the source of my nourishment, consumption, the sustenance that gives me the strength to keep going. If I were to ask you, not your physical diet, but your spiritual one, if you are providing Things that you consume 
that allow you strength and the ability to sustain, what would your response be? And I'm not saying this from a place of me as a pastor saying, well, just do it how I do it. And there has been plenty of seasons where I've not consumed the right things. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about some stories because I think in Scripture, not just more stories of me making terrible decisions, but I want to talk about some stories in Scripture. And in all honesty, I, I, I can't remember the last time this happened. I felt very clearly the Lord told me to read this passage of Scripture. And then literally I hit a writer's block on this passage of Scripture for about 24 hours. Where I was just processing because I'm like, this is a weird story, God. And it's like really random. Like, what do you want to do? And then 24 hours later, as I just chewed and kind of processed it, I kind of got the rest of these passages and threw them all together. And I'm telling you, I'm really passionate about the text today. So the first one is this, 2 Kings chapter 4, 38 through verse 41. We've got Elisha, a prophet, and a kind of weird story. It says this, when Elisha returned to Gilgal, there was a famine in the land. As the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Then one, out, then one went out to the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds. He came and sliced them into the pot of stew for they did not know what they were. I wouldn't even know what gourds were if it wasn't for Dwight on the office. So they poured it out for the men to eat. And as they were eating the stew, they cried out and said, Oh, man of God, there is death in the pot. How many of you guys know these are words that you really want to hear as you're eating with your friends? And they were unable to eat. But he said, Now bring me meal. Now meal, if you research in other translations and commentaries, it's kind of widely accepted that he asks for flour. So they give him flour, he throws it into the pot, and then he says, pour it out for the people that they may eat, for there is no more harm in the pot. Now, how many of you guys know, interesting story, for one, to put ourselves in, I don't always say just put yourself in the text, but in this case, right, if we're having a potluck after, I walk out and I'm just like, hey, there's death in the pot, guys, sorry. It's like, there's not like, oh, there's sickness or food poisoning, it's like, no, you're literally going to (laughs) die. It's like, there's obviously a severe level of like, intent here. But then what happens? Elisha, knowing that the ingredients aren't right, comes up and rectifies them by a miracle act of God. And I just love that it's like, hey, you know, Old Testament writers are like, hey, make sure you record the story about Elisha grabbing flour when the guy picked the wrong gourd and put that in scripture. (laughs) But here we are today. And as I was processing this passage, I was processing it and trying to figure out, God, why are you bringing this to mind so much? And he started unpacking Jesus' ministry and a point that he continually tried to make on sustenance. John 4 is where we're going to spend a little bit of time. It says this, John 4, 1 through verse 4. This is Jesus' very first temptation from the enemy. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The very first temptation the enemy throws at Jesus is a matter of sustenance. 
And I thought that's interesting because it wasn't even, if we really process the story, it wasn't even the enemy holding bread for him. It was literally the enemy saying, hey, turn this rock to bread. It would have been in his own power. It would have been in his own way of functioning. But essentially what it came down to is he would have been listening to what the enemy was saying. It was a test of, will you listen to him or you listen to me? And that's why his response is, man, does it live by bread alone, but every word from the mouth of God, not your mouth, but his mouth. The second passage that sticks out to me, John 4, 34, and again, it's when Jesus is hungry. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat. You do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus then said to them, my food. In some translations, it says my nourishment is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Think about these two passages of scripture. There's a physical need that God responds with a spiritual direction. Almost pointing to the fact that what we rely on in the physical can come from the spiritual. And it's so interesting because once again, when we look at the passage of scripture, it's just so we can sit here and be like, okay, God, like, what is it? What does that mean? Like, if I'm physically hungry, like, God, thank you for giving me the good stuff. But like, I actually need it in my stomach, please. And this is where it gets even more interesting. There's an added layer I want to add context to. And that added layer is this, the feeding of the 5,000, the only miracle found in all four Gospels. Isn't that interesting to you? How is it that Jesus providing food for people is the one thing that everybody records? Why is it that important? Not only is it, why is it that important, but even more than that, I want to unpack the, the reasoning because in light of what Jesus actually does... I mean, think about it. One of my favorite personal miracles, Jesus literally sees a funeral procession, walks up, stops the procession, puts his hand on that casket and says, yo, come on out of here. In the middle of the funeral, stops it. I mean, I would personally, if I was Jesus, like tell the writers, hey guys, just so you know, just so you know, if you could, can you, can you maybe include the one where I raised Lazarus from the dead in all four? Like, can you include, like, the good, like, food? Who, like, not only that, but what's even more fascinating is that there's another story, the feeding of the 4,000, that is also found in Scripture. Who cares? He already fed five. Why are we recording the one with 1,000 less? And some of us, a lot of people, even today, believe that, oh, this is just another aspect of writing of the 4,000 and the 5,000 with the numbers confused. It's not. In my research recently, on these passages, there's something that so stood out to me that I want to share. And I'm just going to read this. Jews in that day believed that a messianic symbol of a coming Christ redeemer would be manna from heaven once again. One reason the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 is so importantly talked about in multiple instances, is because in the Jewish culture, Jesus is providing a second manna in the desert of provision. Saying, this is what you were looking for and I have done it. 
Bread in the wilderness that has led to the promised land is now bread in the desolate desert places to prove a new promised land is upon the earth. Another fascinating take on this is the feeding of the 5,000 locationally and geographically is a heavily predominant Jewish region. Meaning Jesus feeds 5,000 Jewish people. However, the feeding of the 4,000 is in a predominantly Gentile, unsaved, uncircumcised, un-Jewish culture. So as Jesus provides the bread in the desert, he's providing it for the Jew, he's providing it to the Gentile, and he's reaffirming the second manna from heaven. Sustenance in the desolate Substance that comes forth from a miraculous state that should not have been able to be done unless a Messiah was to do it. What I'm getting at today is that I think a lot of us, we seek the sustenance of our life, the thing that strengthens, the thing that affirms and sustains outside of God. Thinking that we can have that feeling of fullness, but not realizing that that feeling of fullness can come from a spirit that is full. What would it mean if we changed the ideology of being full from not this physical place, but this spiritual rhythm? And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk just for a few more moments on how to make sure your sustenance is the right substance. How do you make sure that your sustenance isn't seven pre-workouts in the middle of the night just to get it through? How to make sure your sustenance isn't Fanta and Pop to the point where you are so dehydrated you can barely move? How do you make sure your sustenance is the right substance? The first thing is this. What you consume is what sustains. If there's death in the pot, it's because you put it there And you must be proactive to take it out. What are things you consume on a regular basis that are putting death into the pot? Maybe there's social media that produces a comparison, negative self-image, anxiety, and depression rooted in what you don't have. Maybe it's toxic relationships that take from you more than they add to you. Closet habits and addictions from a fallen world and a sinful nature. Coping mechanisms trying to just get us through what we're feeling and numb and dull the senses. Trauma we never get healing from that just runs through our brains and rewires our humanity. What does it mean to be proactive at looking at the pot you've been eating from and saying, man, there may be something in here that's causing death to me. And then taking it out. Trusting that the flower of God sprinkled within the fallenness of man can allow the pot to be eaten from once again. And I want to challenge you today because I truly believe that there is something about an understanding of what we're putting in and a dissatisfaction with what is coming out. And it's an ownership of the sustenance, the consumptive nature of what we're putting into our spirits that's becoming our personhood. The second thing is this. There's a diet of holiness that brings your faith fulfillment. I love this rhyme. Give it to me, please. It's not counting calories. It's healthy rhythms and boundaries. 
Gosh, I thought people would like that a lot more. First service thought it was great, right? When I first started preaching, it was only rhymes. Now it's only alliterations. It's not counting calories. It's healthy rhythms and healthy boundaries. I want to say this to you. Unlearning seasons are just as important as learning ones. And I think a lot of us, what we've predicated our existence on is learning new things and learning, 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 learning. What if God challenged you to unlearn some things? To take proactively the things that have been put into the pot of your life that you are consuming for sustenance that are actually producing sickness. And I want to challenge you on this because I think for a lot of us, even some of us right now, we're looking and we're saying, man, I'm not, I don't really have any habitual sin right now that I'm keenly aware of. Well, I'll tell you this. One of my favorite books, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, if the devil can't get you to sin, he'll just make you busy. When was the last time you knew how to rest in God? See, if, if, if we as people do not understand the holistic approach to our humanity, that we are not just a soul with no brain, we are not just a brain with no heart, we are not just a soul with, a, with no body, we're all of these things. So what does it mean to follow God with stewardship to all of what we are? Well, it starts with sustenance. Because the thing that you put in that strengthens and sustains you is the thing that strengthens and sustains all of you. Another one that I really loved, a great quote, success is nothing more than a few disciplines practiced every day. Failure is simply a few errors in judgment repeated every day. Jim Rohr. I love that because if you were to ask me the success of my life and what it's predicated on, it's not predicated on you showing up to our church. It's not predicated on two services. It's not predicated on crowds. It's not predicated on an image of social media that makes me look successful. It's not predicated on any of those things. It's predicated on what God's entrusted me with, my spirit, my soul, my wife, and my family, my temple, I didn't say this in the first service, but I have a target every week, and I call it the 4321. And most of my friends know this. Every week, I'm trying to spend four, day, four periods of time that are about an hour to an hour and a half in deep prayer and reading of Scripture. And I rhythmically do those things. There's a, reading, a, a Bible reading plan online that goes through me and my wife's reading plan. Three times a week, I'm physically active exercising. Two times a week, this one's my, not my favorite because my wife is, but two times a week I'm trying to do something that turns the brain off, which for me is golf. Whether that's golfing one time and going to the range or going to the range twice, something that can shut the brain off and allow myself to have peace. And then one day a week I'm practicing Sabbath uninterrupted, meaning I'm shutting off technology and tuning into God. Four, three, two, one, every single week rhythmically. Success for my life has been rooted in those disciplines. Not in what I produce as a pastor, but what I'm producing from my humanity. And I want to challenge you today because I think a lot of us, if we were to look at our diet, maybe we wouldn't realize that that diet, what we're consuming, isn't necessarily what's been fruitful. You know what's wild about diets is in the beginning... They're all not that fun. 
But why they become prioritized is when the diet produces success. And success is when we put, when we do something that produces an outcome we weren't expecting. See, that's what diet, in my opinion, right? When we talk about a healthy spiritual diet, it's doing the hard things, trusting that it will produce something in us that will be gratified and fulfilled from. And I want to challenge you as it pertains to your spiritual diet. What are the healthy rhythms and boundaries you have in place that are rigid in their formation that can produce the lasting fruit? The tree that's firmly planted by streams of living water that yields fruit in all seasons. The third thing is this. A self-destructing spiritual diet starts with, it's not that big of a deal. And consumes things that we think bring strength, but rather breed sickness. One of my favorite quotes of all time is by a a Holocaust survivor by the name of uh, Eli Wetzel. And in it, it's very short and sweet, but it's the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. A Holocaust survivor, the opposite of love is not hate. Somebody who's literally seen, in my opinion, one of the, the greatest manifestations of hate and evil in human, in human history is looking and saying it's not love and hate. It's love and indifference. You know what indifference means is it's a lack of interest, concern, or empathy. I would even say this, some of us, we're looking at our pot knowing there's death in there, but we can rationalize it by looking at other people's pots and knowing they're consuming death too, so it's not that big of a deal. Lack of concern and empathy is us understanding that we're consuming something that isn't adding, strengthening, or sustaining, but because other people are doing it too, it must not be that big of a deal. I'm going to tell you this. I'm responsible for my pot, not your pot, but your ingredients are getting in mine. And I think for some of us, we've been okay with the wrong ingredients because everybody else eats them. What's the big deal? I will not have things that inhibit my interaction with God. I will not have sin that builds barriers. I will not have sin that builds walls. I will be responsible for my pot and what brings sustenance to me. There's a fascinating uh, passage in Proverbs that has always shook me. And I'm going to read it in a bunch of translations so we get the gravity. But it says this. Proverbs 24.10 in the NASB, which is mostly, if you've been here, you know this is what I teach out of, specifically the 1995, not the 2020. (laughs) If you show yourself lacking courage on the day of distress, your strength is meager. We're going to amplify these with a couple translations. Proverbs 24.10, the ESV, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is too small. In the NIV, if you falter in a time of trouble, how small your strength was. Now, this is my personal favorite, and I don't want you to judge me, but listen to this in the message. If you fall to pieces in crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. Let that sink in. And I'm not saying, right, I... I, Once again, the message is is its own thing, but I'm going to tell you this, that wording just hits. 
And I want to challenge you. How are you strengthening yourself for tomorrow's trials and adversities today? Because they're coming. And I hope that you have the strength to stand when they do come. See, what's interesting about sustenance is we have a feeling of hunger in the moment. But what we really don't realize is that hunger is just for something that can help us to keep going. So yes, we consume to meet the need of hunger. But what we're consuming is much more than something that meets a need of hunger. It is something that now will propel us forward. And I think if I'm honest, if we're really assessing our pots, we're consuming things because we're hungry. We're not consuming things based off of will they make me good and faithful. Because I'm going to tell you this, if we're consuming based off of will they make me good and faithful... Rather than will they just meet a basic human need. There's so much more fulfillment. The last point I have for you is this. When the sustenance is right through the seasons of life. There's typically a miracle or multiplication. That accompanies it. And I'm not saying this from the place of do the right things and get the right stuff in return. Because that's. Contrary to the gospel. But in these specific stories, we've got Elisha's death in the pot that then they eat after he throws flour on it. After Jesus passes the temptation, we've got angels showing up and attending to him. The desolate places in the desert are now the feeding grounds of thousands of people. There are miracles in the right sustenance that point to the goodness of God. What if I told you That you don't worry about the outcome. You focus on what's incoming. And he might provide that miraculous heaven to earth provision that only he can. Because I truly believe that for some of us, it's just about us being aware of what's in the pot. You know, I said this in the first service and I felt like the Lord was giving me a picture of the boiling point. Which also hilarious fact, uh, boiling point of water, 212 degrees. All first service, I kept saying 205 degrees because that's what my kettle is set at for my pour over. (laughs) I was like 205 and people were like, dude, you know, you got it wrong the whole time you talked about it. I was like, well, that's because my kettle is not set to boiling point. It's set to it's like, man, I really swung and missed on that one. But I feel like sometimes we sit in environments like this and we're like, all right, I need to go home and read the Bible for 17 hours uninterrupted. I need to go in my war room, shut the door and fill the walls. I got to go see Jesus revolution until it leaves theaters. Right. I feel like it's so easy to be in these places where it's like, okay, God, there's palpable hunger. What do I do? Today, I felt like the Lord told me to encourage you. Just take it up one degree every day. And one degree, if I went, I checked actually the thermostat before this. It's, it was 68, but I was, I'm, I'm sweating right now. But if I went over to that thermostat on the wall and I bumped it up to 69 degrees or 70 degrees, 
or and, and just gave that period where it was just one degree increment. Very few of us would notice that. However, there's something about going from 211 to 212. Something that when it was first discovered and what steam could do with pressure then powered locomotives and electric generators that would provide power to cities and civilizations that had never been done before. There was something about one degree from 211 to 212 that changed how humanity functioned. What if you were faithful in one degree per day and then over time you might find that as those degrees of change have accumulated, it starts producing something you never thought you could produce. Shining a light and providing a power that you never thought you could have, but you stewarded one degree. One degree, one degree of change. You know, the Lord spoke this to me Monday in in my time with the Lord, one of my four days. And I felt like he said to me, and, and this was me just having a moment with him. I said, I've never been further from the shore, yet so sure of my safety. See, that's what the right sustenance does. The right sustenance is I'm putting the right things in. And yes, my life is out of control and I have no clue what tomorrow is going to bring because that's literally church planning summed up. (laughs) But I know I'm putting the right things in. I know I'm producing or I'm prioritizing the right relationships. I knew that I have the rhythms and the boundaries. I know that I'm putting God first. I know that when I stand on this stage, there's not a hint of the hypocriticalness of I'm preaching something I'm not living. And in that place, as I maybe feel like I'm floating and not touching the ground, swept away and not able to get to the place of the comfort of control, I know I'm safe and secure. What if I introduced a new thought to you today that your sustenance produces a safety and security that all of us crave and all of us as our heads hit the pillow at night think about that God can produce I challenge you today take ownership of your pot and who knows what will happen let's stand to our feet If you've been here before, you know we have a pattern of just reading out a prayer over everybody of the message. So whatever your posture of receiving is, we're not going to go super long. I know we've been going, but it is what it is. God, may our nourishment be to do the will of you. As Jesus responds, is rooted in dependency so too may our rhythms of life reflect a dependency on your leading and guiding not our production not our gifts and our talents but your leading and your guiding God we know that you provide a sustenance that brings fullness to not just our physical reality but also our mental spiritual and emotional selves 
May we never pursue you for the aspect of gain, but rather for the aspect of an intimacy that has the power to provide rest in the back of the boat while our world feels as though it's in a constant and never-ending storm. May we consume what sustains. Get the death out of the pot before it becomes the death of our life in you. May we have the rhythms and boundaries that guard a healthy consumption of you and your word. Give us an eye for the things in our life that bring sickness instead of strength. Keep our minds on the goal of being sustained through all seasons. Keep our eyes open to the miracles and multiplication that accompanies this level of faithfulness. While still knowing there will be uncertainty and pain in the midst of this fallen place. Would you redeem your creation to eat of the vine, drink of the cup, gather the manna that falls from heaven to believe in a God who can supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. In Jesus' name.